This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. So with you again, right here on 98.7 ESPN. We'll take it for a few hours, right up until 10 o'clock. Then Anita stops by with the weekend wager. You know the drill. It's 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number if you want to be part of the program. Jacob Perry producing the program tonight. He is at the controls. And again, a lot to get to. Over the course of the next few hours, hopefully we can squeeze it all in. I think we can. We usually find a way to work these things out. But, of course, plenty on the agenda. As always, you can get me on Twitter at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Only one of the two baseball teams in action tonight. Mets get themselves a Friday off in the Windy City as their afternoon affair with their old buddy Marcus Stroman. And the Cubs was washed away this afternoon because of the raindrops. Boy, Marcus Stroman going to, like, ridiculous lengths at this point, to avoid having to face his former team, right? No, I'm kidding. But he'll pitch in one of those games tomorrow. It'll be a day-night doubleheader. The Cubs, they want their money. They want two gates. They want two baskets of revenue. So you got the first one. I think it's like 2.20, and then the second game is at 8 o'clock. So two ends of the doubleheader. Mets are going to have, like, Walker and Scherzer going in the two games, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And Stroman's going to pitch in one of those games for the Chicago Cubs. But... Mets taking care of business last night, beating up on the Cubbies. That's what you're supposed to do to bad teams. And, you know, we talked about it last night. That Wrigley Field has been a, a horror show for the Mets over the last several years. I think they've won like four out of their last 23 games there before last night. Regular season. We know that they won both games in the 2015 LCS, but regular season, uh, not very kindly to the Amazons. But last night it was. They get a victory and uh, they'll rest up for two tomorrow. And then, of course, finish it up on Sunday, then go into the All-Star break. You hope still in first place in the National League East. That lead is two and a half games on the Atlanta Braves. Braves in D.C. again tonight to take on the lowly Nationals. We'll start with the Yankees, though, because they're opening up another important series with the Boston Red Sox. And all the series with the Red Sox are important, right? The rivalry games, you know, two teams don't like each other. Not that the Red Sox are any sort of imminent threat to unseating the Yankees atop the Eastern Division, but these two teams do have something in common when they get ready to lock horns this weekend in the Bronx, and that is that neither one of them are really playing good baseball. I mean, if you want to tell it like it is, both teams are slumping coming into this series. You know, the Red Sox, they've lost eight out of their last ten. They just got swept in a four-game set in Tampa Bay, and they never beat the Tampa Bay Rays. Tampa's manhandled them so far this season. So, you know, Tampa's going to have the Red Sox number in most cases, and that's why Tampa's kind of catapulted themselves to second place, still still a long ways away from the Yankees. But the gap between the Bombers and the Red Sox is 15 and a half games in the American League East. But Yankees aren't playing all that well, right? They've dropped four out of their last five, six out of their last ten. Losing a series to the Cincinnati Reds of all teams. The Cincinnati Reds. The last few days in the Bronx. You know, look, are we sitting here sounding the alarm like this is worry time for the Yankees? I don't know how Yankee fans feel. Like, as soon as that game ended last night, I, I couldn't, I even tweeted it out. I says, boy, I cannot wait to engage with some of the Yankee fans as to how they're going to approach this one going into this series tonight. Like, they're probably looking at these Red Sox games as if they are win at all costs. As if, God forbid, you don't play well this weekend going into the All-Star break against the Red Sox. The sky is falling. You know, the calls to get Joey Gallo out of there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. The Bronx is burning. 
Not really. But one area that's kind of let them down here the last few days is the performance of the bullpen, and that's really what's surprising. You know, that has been one of the strengths of the team. The pitching has been one of the strengths of this team. But whether it's Lucas Litke, whether it's Loisaga, who, you know, you give Loisaga a little bit of a pass because he's missed so much time, and then you throw him back out there and he didn't have his best stuff. And then Clay Holmes has been less than stellar in those couple of games against the Cincinnati Reds. But, you know, you even look at somebody like him. He's been so good all season. He's been damn near automatic all season long that, you know, he's allowed for an occasional slip up here and there. Although I did point it out last night, and it's going to be curious to see how this season plays itself out and as he continues on down this path. You know, Clay Holmes is a guy who really the only amount of success that he's had in the big leagues is since he put on a Yankee uniform, which is not even a full calendar year. Got traded over here like July 20-something of last season from the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he wasn't all that sharp during his years in Pittsburgh, but since he's come over to the Yankees, you know what? He's a completely different pitcher. And he's become probably the most trusted arm that the Yankees have in that bullpen. All-star, well-deserved, all those things. But the reason that I think the Clay Holmes situation bears watching is because right now you feel good about turning the game over to him in the late innings and in the ninth inning specifically, right? You feel confident that he's going to get the job done. You don't have to worry about getting those all-important three outs. But what happens if that starts to go south, right? And what happens if... You know, he does start to slump a little bit. And then as the innings start to take their toll, what happens if you don't see that guy from the first half of the season who was an all-star and who was as good as any reliever in Major League Baseball? Then you have a little bit of a worry. Then you start to ask yourself, all right, what do we have on our hands here? Because I think the last thing that you can afford to do if you're the Yankees is turn the ninth inning back over to a Roldis Chapman. I wouldn't want to. Because eventually, you know, that's going to come to a head and he's going to leave you sitting there pulling your hair out because at this stage of his career I don't know if Chapman is somebody that I would deem necessarily trustworthy by any stretch and I've never been a Chapman guy never even during his glory years whether it was when he was with Cincinnati and you know maybe his early tenure with the New York Yankees not now not with all the injury concerns that have happened here recently no thanks so Montgomery tonight taking on Evaldi You know, Montgomery, Mr. No Decision. Yankees can't seem to score enough runs to support him. That's why he's he's 3-2 and and he's started how many games already so far this year. And Evaldi's a guy who hasn't pitched in a month. You know, just coming off the injured list. This is his first time back. So I don't know how deep he's going to go into this game. Uh, You know that he's pitched good games against the Yankees before, i.e. October of last year. But I don't think he's going to be sticking around long enough. But if you're the Yankees, don't make his job any easier. Make him work. You know, get into that bullpen sooner rather than later. Work the count. Take some pitches. You know, that old idea. And then you start to expose this Red Sox team because it's a bullpen that, let's face it, is not one of the better ones in baseball, at least in my opinion, it's not. So forget about the American League East. The American League East is safe. It's locked. It's loaded. It's clinched. It's checkmated. Whatever analogy you want to use to describe the Yankees' lead in that division. But what you do have to look out for And as we keep bringing it up, is that lead over the Houston Astros for the top spot in the American League, for home field advantage in the American League playoffs, and more importantly, home field advantage if and when, and I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen, the Yanks and Astros get together in the American League Championship Series. Don't you want a Game 7 at Yankee Stadium as opposed to Minute Maid Park? I would, 100%. 
Astros show no fear playing in the Bronx. Astros know they can win games in Yankee Stadium. Can the Yankees win a big game in the month of October down at Minute Maid Park? They haven't in the last couple of tries, have they? When they met Houston in the playoffs. That would scare the heck out of me. And that lead right now is three and a half games. They lost last or Yankees lose last night. Houston wins last night. And Astros take on the lowly Oakland Athletics back at home starting tonight to close out the first half of the season. So, again, that's Edge Houston. And you look at that division right now. You know, look at some of these matchups the rest of the year. American League East right now has five teams with winning records. Baltimore Orioles probably as good a story as you have in baseball right now. They got a winning record and they're in last place. So all these division games that the Yankees have lined up the rest of the season, and even though the Yanks have played really, really well against their division, but those games aren't going to be walkovers. Not going to be easy. But meantime, you look at what the Astros have in front of them when they play their division games in the second half of the season. The A's stink. The Angels are no good. You know, Texas is not as awful as those other two teams, but they're not a great team by any stretch. I wouldn't even call them a good team. You know, casually dangerous. That's a good term for the Texas Rangers. But they're still a losing team. And now Seattle's got a little bit of win in their sales. They've won 11 in a row, so they're back to playing maybe how we thought they were going to play at the beginning of the season. But edge goes to the Astros in terms of lack of difficulty when playing your division opponents. So that's something you got to watch out for here, I think, as we move forward into the All-Star break and into the second half of the season. And I would absolutely 100%, 100% expect Brian Cashman to be active before August 2nd. You know, we got a couple of more weeks until the deadline. Now with the Luis Severino injury, that calls to mind you need another pitcher. Okay, I, I thought you needed another pitcher even before Severino went down. You absolutely need one now, 100%. I don't want to sit here and you're going to tell me that um, – you know, Domingo Herman is on the way back. You mean to tell me that Domingo Herman is somebody who's going to be an adequate replacement for Severino? No, thanks. Really? Domingo Herman? That's what we're that's what we're putting all of our hopes on to stabilize this rotation while Severino was out? No, thank you. I'll pass. Hard pass. Not for me. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. And again, the Yanks and Red Sox, they haven't played that much this year, right? There's only the third series. Yes, they played last weekend there at Fenway. They split four games, but there's going to be a lot of Yankee-Red Sox battles in the second half of the season. You know, they'll meet one time in the month of August, and then they got a bunch of games in September. They got six games in that final month over the last two weeks of the season, which may or may not mean something still. I don't think it'll mean as much for the Yankees, maybe for the number one overall seed, but probably means a little bit more for the Boston Red Sox as they'll be in a position to probably still try to nail down one of these playoff spots. We come back. You know, we'll keep you up to date here on the uh, Yanks and the Sox as we move forward through the night. Again, that's on Prime. If you're turning on your TV and you're flipping through the channels and you're looking, hey, where's the Yankee game? You know what? You got to stream it. Tonight is a stream affair. It's Friday, which means Friday night streaming, baby. On Amazon, Jeff Bezos getting richer with your hard-earned dollars like he needs it. So, Yank Sox on Prime. We come back, though. I don't know if you guys saw this. But, you know, with the trade deadline approaching, and one of the names that's kind of been thrown out there as a potential Yankee target, and you saw one last night on the mound, up close and personal at Yankee Stadium in Luis Castillo. How nice would that look in pinstripes? But there's another guy, too, who plays for the Kansas City Royals, and he falls into a category with a lot of his teammates, as we found out over the last couple of days. And I wonder 
Now that he's in this category, is that someone that you would completely rule out as a potential target for the New York Yankees to acquire if he could still even somehow make your team even better? Busy Friday night. We got a lot to get to. We'll start with the baseball. You know, we got to get into some NBA stuff with the Knicks rumors swirling. We'll do some golf with a sad farewell at St. Andrews today for Tiger Woods. You'll hear from him. And, oh, that's right, we'll talk some football because camps are just a couple of weeks away. And I know I can't wait. I'm sure you can't either. It's Dan Grasson with you on this Friday night. It's 98.7 ESPN. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Not the type of start that you want to draw up if you're Jordan Montgomery tonight. As the first four Boston Red Sox have reached in tonight's game, it started with a Rob Ref Snyder leadoff walk. He would come around and score on Rafael Devers' two-run blast. And, yeah, Rafael Devers is torching the Yankees, but Rafael Devers is torching everybody in Major League Baseball. Very, very much an MVP uh, candidate so far this season. Then J.D. Martinez doubled. Xander Bogarts got a single. That brought out Matt Blake, the pitching coach, and uh, he just retired Alex Verdugo on a fly ball to left field, which was not deep enough to score Martinez from third base. So still 2-0 Boston. They are hitting in the top of the first. Uh, we'll keep you up to date here, but it looks like the Yankee Bats are going to have to help Mr. Montgomery dig out of a first-inning hole, which could be a, a long Friday evening in the Bronx. Generally are with the Yankees and Red Sox butt heads. I mentioned the uh, Kansas City Royals, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but Kansas City is the latest team to make their way north of the border and take on the Toronto Blue Jays at their home. And, of course, Canada has those rules about, you know, vaccinations and players and teams and whatnot. If you're not vaccinated, you can't play. You know, the Yankees were one of actually the few teams in baseball, maybe the only team that has had to go up to Toronto so far this year, and every single guy in the team was eligible to play. They were all taken care of. Um, but Kansas City, I, I mean, they set like an anti-vax record, I think, for any team. Because yesterday, when they began the series, found out that 10 players, 10 players – were put on that designated list because they weren't vaccinated and they couldn't play and, you know, didn't receive pay for the series and so on and so forth, including even the pitching coach, as a matter of fact, Cal Eldred. So 10 players plus the pitching coach, among others. And one of the players that was not eligible to play and isn't eligible to play the rest of the weekend is Andrew Benintendi, former Boston Red Sox, in his second season with the Kansas City Royals, made the all-star team this year. The Royals' uh, token representative, because they're a god-awful baseball team, so they don't deserve more than one All-Star. Uh, but Benintendi made the team this year, having a good season, uh, hitting over 300, uh, you know, left field. You know, there's a guy that Yankee fans are a big fan of, of course, that plays left field right now, and he's playing left field tonight. That's, of course, Joey Gallo. But you know Benintendi well from all the years with the Boston Red Sox. You know that he has some pop in that bat, but he's not really showing it all that much this year. He's only got three home runs on the season. So that would be the only drawback I would say. Like, if you're not satisfied with what you're getting from Joey Gallo right now in the batting order, if you're a Yankee fan, and now you're going to bring in a guy like Andrew Benintendi, who, oh, by the way, has only hit three balls out of the ballpark, like, is that sufficient enough production for you? And how do you know that batting average is going to stay where it is over 300? How do you know the OPS is going to be hovering just below 800 when he joins this lineup? Is he? You figure he's going to have more opportunities to produce, but you just never know 
you know, especially going to a different team. You just never know how these things are going to play themselves out. But more importantly, now we know that the vaccination thing is a potential hiccup for him. So I wonder if you're a Yankee fan, and let's just say the Yankees are thinking about bringing in an Andrew Benintendi, is that still a move that you would consider making, given the fact that you got a couple of trips still to Toronto before the end of the season? Who knows if you're going to have to go to Toronto come October in the playoffs and play an all-important game or two there, and to not have this guy available and to not have him in the lineup, that's almost counterproductive to even having him on your team, don't you think? So I wonder how many clubs are actually going to be reluctant to maybe take a flyer on a Benintendi because of those vaccination laws that they have in Canada. I think that if he is going to get moved, you might be more inclined to ship him off if you're Kansas City to, let's say, a team in the National League. And he's a free agent, so he's a rental player. You know, he don't make a ton of money. But if you're asking me right now, because teams like to make sure that they have all their bases covered, no pun intended, probably seems like he's a guy that's best suited for a trip to a National League club that will only have to play the Toronto Blue Jays come the World Series. And oh, by the way, how about it? Kansas City was not very good. Ten guys not available for that series with Toronto. What do they do? They win last night's game. Series opener. Go figure. And you know something? I think if you're the Yankees, and what you saw last night from Luis Castillo, I've seen a guy, and I've, you know, certainly the starts that even preceded last night. You're seeing a guy that looks like he's starting to get it back. You're looking at a guy who a few years ago, if you remember, it was one of those years that Jacob DeGrom won the Cy Young in the National League, one of those back-to-back years. I can't remember which one specifically. But for the first, like, two, two and a half months of the season, Luis Castillo was the best pitcher in the National League. It wasn't Jacob DeGrom. Then he kind of tailed off a little bit in the second half. But Castillo's got unbelievable wipeout stuff. His changeup is as good as anybody's in Major League Baseball. And the fact that he was able to go in there last night and shut down that lineup and not be intimidated by that stage and by Yankee Stadium and by the Bronx, I, I, I mean, I don't know what you have to sit here and contemplate if you're the Yankees. I know the price tag might be a little exorbitant. Who the heck knows what Cincinnati's going to want in exchange, but they're probably going to want at least something. So that means you're going to have to part ways with maybe a couple of these prized minor league prospects that every team is so careful to hold on to. I'm not saying that you're going to have to maybe give up Anthony Volpe. Probably not. But you might have to give up one of these other shortstops, a Peraza, something like that. But if it's made available to you and you're Brian Cashman, I don't know how you don't strike and make that deal. Because Castillo, at the very least, you know, if you talk about guys who have gotten it done and guys who have pitched at a high level before, see, Castillo is not going to be one of these guys. And there's always a fear of this whenever you talk about bringing somebody to the Yankees or the Mets or, you know, to New York specifically. He's not going to be a guy who's intimidated by pitching here. He really isn't. And for being on a sub-500 team, and yeah, he missed a good chunk of the early part of the season. But since he's come back, he's pitched like an all-star, which he is again this year. I I think it's an absolute no-brainer that if you're the Yankees and you're Brian Cashman and you want to go out there and improve this club, forget about Joey Gallo. All right? Forget about the number nine spot in the batting order. 
That's a pipe dream right now. Forget about it. Those are first world problems you're dealing with as a Yankee fan. Add to that starting rotation. Add to the pitching staff. And who knows what the future is going to be like for Luis Severino. Who knows how long he's going to be out. But I'll tell you, now that he's already nicked up, you have to keep that possibility open that maybe this is something that's going to plague him moving forward. Earlier this morning, Buster Olney from ESPN was on with DiPietro and Rothenberg. 5 to 8 a.m. each and every weekday morning right here on 98.7 ESPN. You know, I was talking about a little while ago about the Houston Astros being right on the Yankees' tails, right three and a half games back in the American League standings. The guys got into that a little bit with Buster this morning, and they asked him if home field advantage matters truly for this Yankee team. Here's what he had to say. It does, and I do think there's a legitimate chance that Houston catches the Yankees for the number one overall seed because, let's face it, as we sit here today, we're looking at the American League East. These teams are going to beat the hell out of each other. You know, you have five legitimate teams now competing for, for playoff spots, playing each other, and on the other hand, if you're the Houston Astros, you're going to get a bunch of games against the Oakland Athletics, you know, who are tanking this season. The Rangers are better than they have been, and I know leading up the trade deadline, they're looking to add before the deadline line, but they're not as good as some of the teams in the East. You know, the Mariners are getting better as we go along, but the schedule clearly is an advantage for the Astros. I don't know if this is the case. I know as of a week ago, if you looked at the remaining schedules, the Astros have the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball because of who they're going to play down the stretch. And I was talking about it a little bit earlier with these respective divisions and how they fare. You realize the Yankees and the Astros both have the exact same record right now against their respective divisions? Yankees are 28 and 14 against the East. The Astros are 28 and 14 against the American League West. So it's there. And you don't think the Astros are going to completely stand pat and do nothing to improve this team? Oh, they will. They're going to do something, especially, I would say, to that bullpen, even though statistically it's been one of the better units in baseball. I can see the Astros still going out there and getting another arm. And the Astros have the number one pitching staff in all of Major League Baseball, statistically. 800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Eddie in Long Island, up first here on 98.7 on this Friday night. Eddie, how we doing? Hey, how's it going, bud? Ed, what's going on? Listen, I saw Castillo pitch last night. He's smiling. He's having a great time. And he completely shut down the Yankee lineup. We need to get this guy. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, obviously not, you know, give up Volpe. But whatever we need to do, we need to get this guy on a starting staff of the Yankees, and we are set to go. I'll hang up and I'll listen to the uh, the rest. Thanks, bud. Bye. Ed, good call. I agree. I agree. Because, you know, I, we were talking about this a lot, actually. Like, if I were to ask you right now as a Yankee fan, what starting pitcher in this rotation, and Montgomery, by the way, just got out of the top of the first inning. He limits the damage to two. Good job by him. He had runners at... Um, runner at third base with nobody out and was able to strand him there in J.D. Martinez. So he limits the damage to two. That's a nice job by Montgomery. See if he can keep it there and see if the bats could get him back against Evaldi. For all the Yankees starting pitchers not named Garrett Cole, who do you trust the most come playoff time? Is there a clear-cut answer? I would have said Severino, but now with this injury to the lat, 
I don't know what he's going to be like health-wise, even though we're still talking about two and a half months from now. How confident can you be in what you're getting? Give me the other arm. Bring me one more. You can never have enough pitching depth, and this team needs it. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. All right, when we come back, the latest, the update, the newest information that is trickling out there regarding the Knicks' pursuit of some guy on the Utah Jazz. The name will come to me shortly. But what is the latest on the rumor mill for Donovan Mitchell coming back home? Stan Grazer with you till 10 right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. The latest hot off the presses, latest info involving Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks' pursuit of the local native, the three-time All-Star of the Utah Jazz, one of the top scoring guards in all the NBA. By the way, you know he's throwing out the first pitch tomorrow night over in Coney Island? Get your tickets now. Maybe it's going to be the closest you get to Donovan Mitchell this year in the New York area, at least in terms of an athletic venue. Yes, Brooklyn Cyclones, tomorrow night, Donovan Mitchell's throwing out the first pitch. They're giving out like a Donovan Mitchell bobblehead or something like that that I saw. Uh, Unfortunately, that's not going to help in any way of him joining the New York Knicks. But, you know, it's something, you know. It's, a, it's an olive branch, if anything, or maybe just whets your appetite a little bit more. So where do we stand right now? You know about all the reports, and last night, you and I, we had a nice dialogue. We had a nice back and forth, right, about what it would take to get Mitchell, what you would give up to get Donovan Mitchell, would R.J. Barrett be part of a package, and I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I was a little surprised because whether it was over the phone whether it was on Twitter, just getting comments from people. And by the way, you can get me at Dan Gross at GRACA. Most people were reluctant to include R.J. Barrett in any sort of a package that would get Donovan Mitchell here to Madison Square Garden. Like, they wanted to hold on to R.J. Barrett like he was a blood relative. Like he was someone that is that near and dear to you and your well-being. Like, you would have thought R.J. Barrett was somebody who had the resume of a Donovan Mitchell so far in the NBA, but he doesn't. But Nick fans like him. He's one of their own. He was drafted third overall, right? He's a pup. You, you, you harnessed him through your system. You put up with the growing pains, all these things, and now you want to see him blossom. You want to see him spread his wings, and you want to see him develop into an all-star and one of the top players in the NBA as a New York Nick, not someplace else. I can respect that. Is it possible that you can have your cake and eat it too? Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, you get Donovan Mitchell and not have to give up R.J. Barrett? Really? Like, could that happen? Because now the latest of what we're hearing coming out of Utah and the thought process of Danny Ainge, the man in charge of the Utah Jazz, and all the various reports that are circulating is that maybe, just maybe, there is light at the end of the tunnel for those that want that. Like, maybe the Knicks can do this without having to sacrifice R.J. Barrett. Tony Jones, who covers the Utah Jazz for the Athletic, he went on ESPN Radio in Utah, ESPN 700, as a matter of fact. And he was asked what Utah would want from the Knicks 
in exchange for Donovan Mitchell. Take a listen. There was a feeling that, you know, things were a little bit close as uh, late as Tuesday night. Um, but the Knicks, uh, according to my sources, kind of backed away. You know, there are some, you know, I have some Knicks sources who are telling me that Danny Ainge is asking for everything but the Statue of Liberty. You know, um, I had a really good source tell me uh, that the Jazz have asked for at least six of New York's eight tradable first-round picks and, and all of uh, New York's high-impact young guys. Uh, so that would be Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, Obi Toppin, uh, Miles McBride. Uh, the Jazz do not want to take back R.J. Barrett in the deal. Um, because they don't want to pay him. Uh, they want to go young. You know, so they're looking for picks, and they're looking for rookie-scale young players. So there you have it. You know, Nick fans probably hear that, and they're like ears perked up, like the antennas. They wouldn't want R.J. Barrett to return. But he also said a lot of things there. And again, that's Tony Jones, who covers the Utah Jazz for the Athletic, appearing on ESPN 700 out there in Utah, right? Utah asking for everything but the Statue of Liberty. Well, they can't have her. She's ours. And plus, I don't know how the hell they're getting her all the way out to Salt Lake City either. We said it last night. Go back and rewind. You know, go into Google.com, if you will, and refresh your memory as to what Danny Ainge did in tearing down that old Boston Celtics team, ones that won a championship. We're in the conversation for how many number of years? And then he picked up the phone, and Billy King was on the other end of the line, and he absolutely took Billy King to the cleaners and the rest of the Brooklyn Nets franchise. And the Nets paid for it for years and years and years and years and years. Getting all those first-round picks, throwing two dinosaurs and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, and you want to say Jason Terry, on Brooklyn, and the Nets won one round out of it. One measly, stinking playoff round. Paul Pierce made the game-winning shot up in Toronto in the deciding game, but still, that's all they got. And the Celtics used those draft picks as a foundation for a team that ultimately, ultimately, would make it to the NBA Finals this past year, even though Danny Ainge wasn't around to see it come to fruition. Brad Stevens was the head coach of those young Celtics teams, and then he graduated to the front office, and now he is the architect of that club. But young, inexpensive players and draft picks. That is the formula that's going to be able to get something done here potentially. Which, as you heard Tony say, rules out R.J. Barrett. All right, now we're getting somewhere. You know, now we can exhale a little bit. Everybody, and I'm going to say, Jacob, what would you say last night? Between the phone calls, the the Twitter responses, what, probably 90% of the people wanted no part of sending R.J. Barrett to Utah, right? Yeah, most of them didn't want to send RJ. There were a couple callers that were, hey, I'll just give him up and get Donovan Mitchell. We'll be fine. Like, But, yeah, a good majority of our callers were uh, willing and hesitant on uh, sending RJ out there. Wanted no part of it. So for everybody that fell into that camp, you know what? Today's your lucky day. Now, we don't know if it's going to end up like this. We don't know if, you know, there's going to be a change of heart because, you know, with these trade conversations, that's what happens. Things change, it seems like, as often as the weather does. You just can't get a consistent read on this stuff from one day to the next because R.J. Barrett is eligible to eventually sign that max deal, which could pay him up to $185 million. They could do that as, as early as this summer. 
Not that there's any indication that's going to happen anytime soon, whether it's by the Knicks or even another team if he's traded. But let's not get there yet. Let's not get our hopes up yet. But think about that, what he also said. Yes, the Knicks have 11 first-round picks over the next seven years. But only eight of them can be traded right now. Eight of the 11. Some of them are protected. Some of them are other teams and all that stuff. But Knicks can trade eight of them. Athletic also reported Utah has for at least six of those picks. Six. Six first-round picks. Remember, Rudy Gobert only fetched four first-round picks. And a couple of veteran players. So you want to trade away and part ways with six first-rounders. All various shapes and size and a boatload of young, inexperienced players. And he read off the laundry list. Quentin Grimes, Obi Toppin, Miles McBride, even Emmanuel Quickly. I mean, if you digest all that stuff, like if this is we're at a restaurant and this is a menu and you're reading that on the menu, like that comes with one, that's one meal. You know, the portions are like extremely large at this restaurant and that's one, you can order that. Six first round picks and those four players. Don't you think you have to walk away from it? Don't you think that's a little bit much? That if you ever ordered something like that off the menu, you're probably saying, how the hell am I going to finish that? And you can weigh like 500 pounds. I don't know if you can eat all that stuff. To me, that's a bit much. I I mean, I don't care if prime Michael Jordan is what I'm getting back in exchange. Six first-round picks and four rotational players with upside? For a guy who's really, really good, an all-star player, but not prime Michael Jordan. And he's not even a guy that ultimately, if and when you get to being a championship contender, I don't even think he's a number one on that team. Although things could change. And not all champions are created equal. But doesn't seem like that's going to be in the cards, does it? All right, so you heard all that stuff. Six first-round picks and the bevy of youngsters. Grimes, IQ, Obi, McBride. Yay or nay? You doing that or you walking away? Yay or nay? If that's what it t- and you get to keep R.J. Barrett. So everybody that holds on to R.J. Barrett like a big teddy bear that doesn't want to let him go, you keep R.J. Barrett, but you're not going to have any draft picks. And all those other young guys that you rooted for on occasion and you wanted to see them grow and get better as Knicks, you're also saying goodbye to those guys too. Yay or nay? 800-919-3776, the telephone number. I'll tell you what I think when we come back. It's Dan Grasso, till 10, right here on 98.7 ESPN. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. At Dan Grasso is where you can find me on Twitter, G-R-A-C-A. Gangs and Sox doing battle. In the Bronx, Sox with a 2 nothing lead, but the Yanks trying to mount a little bit of a resistance. Got runners at the corners with a couple of guys out. We'll see if they can push through and get on the scoreboard, so we'll keep our eyes on that. This is this has the makings, as I said to Jake up there in one of the commercials here. Think about it. This game started, <laughs> this game started an hour ago. They're only in the bottom of the second inning. This has four-hour Yankee Red Sox affair written all over it here in the early going. You know, so... We're going to be long done with our program tonight, and this game is still going to be a long way from being decided, as they usually do when these two teams get together. But we're talking Knicks, talking Donovan Mitchell, the reports, the rumors, 
Utah wants a lot. Six first-rounders, reportedly, and four young, controllable, cheap players. And it sounds like Quentin Grimes is the guy that they most covet off of this roster, according to reports. Like, out of these, like, young, inexpensive players, Quentin Grimes is the guy. And one other thing to remember, we'll get to the calls here in just a second. Utah Jazz, much like the Kevin Durant situation with the Nets, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. The Utah Jazz don't have to trade Donovan Mitchell. Like, they may want to, you know, ultimately to facilitate this rebuild. They know they're going to have to move him, but it doesn't have to be this year. It doesn't have to be next year. He's under contract for several years. And the Jazz are not winning anything for several years, right? They already made that decision once Rudy Gobert got shipped off to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So they are now in a rebuild. It is a process. So Danny Ainge, at some point in time, he is going to be able to find a taker for Donovan Mitchell, and he's going to find somebody that will meet those exorbitant demands, whether it's the Knicks or whether it's somebody else. Nothing says this has to get done during this summer or during this offseason. It would be nice but doesn't have to. Just like with the Brooklyn Nets, they don't have to trade Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is not heading into his contract year to where the Nets risk losing him for nothing. He signed a four-year extension. So he is tied into Brooklyn for four more years. The Nets are in no rush to trade this guy until they get something which they feel is of equal value or even greater value and is going to help them moving forward. See what you guys think. Kenneth in Brooklyn. We start with him here on 98.7 ESPN. Kenneth, talk to me. How are you? Kenneth, you there? Good evening, Dan. Hope all is well. Um, there he is. What's I up, I think Kenneth? it's going to be a big haul to give up. Hello? Yeah, we got you. Go ahead. Okay. Very good. Um, I'm just a Donovan Mitchell thing. I think it's a, it's a big – it's a big – it's a lot to give up for a guy on a really good – Utah team who's won 50-plus games couldn't even make it out of the second round of the playoffs. And we're going to expect him to do that with us, with basically no one on the roster. We're going to be giving up a whole unit, a whole second unit off the bench just to get this guy. I feel like it's a lot. He's a good player. I like him. But I just think it's a lot to give up. Thank you for taking my call. Ken, I agree with you. It's a lot to give up. And that's why if you're telling me, like, if this was the take-it-or-leave-it final offer, I'm not doing it. As much as I like Donovan Mitchell as a player, and I wish he was on this team, like I would do it yesterday, right? When he goes to Coney Island tomorrow to throw out that first pitch for the Brooklyn Cyclones, you wish that he could just drive him right over to Madison Square Garden and he could start working on his jump shot and working on his game for this season as a Nick. But that's a lot. And see, Ken said something interesting, though. It's a lot to give up for a guy who hasn't been out of the second round. I, I'd, I'd be careful with that. You know, we, we got into that a little bit last night. I don't think that that is a sticking point. And I don't think it's fair necessarily to tie that to a player. You know, he can only control what he has to work with around him. And I know that Rudy Gobert is an all-star player, defensive player of the year, all those type of things. But what's Rudy Gobert? Like, where's Rudy Gobert's value? What does Rudy Gobert contribute offensively? Next to nothing. So in this day and age in the NBA, when we talk about super teams, big threes, 
dynamic duos, all those things. Yeah, okay, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, it's a dynamic duo. It's Batman and Robin, all that stuff for the Jazz, but they're not of the same skill set. It's not like you're talking about two dynamic offensive players. Like, that's generally what we mean. Right? Like, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson out there in Golden State, you want to mix in Draymond. Curry and Klay Thompson are dynamic scorers. Draymond can put the ball in the basket, but, you know, his game is like intangibles, defense, mix, uh, matchup problems, that type of thing. That's what he contributes. Utah, it wasn't really a team that was well-conceived to go all the way, and I think that the Jazz knew that. Quinn Snyder knew that. That's why at the end of the year, he basically said, you know what, as the coach of this team, I've done everything I possibly could with them. It's time for me to step aside. And then Danny Ainge in the front office decided, you know what, it's time for us to turn over a new leaf here and try to take another run at this a different way because this way we've maxed out the credit card. It's not going to work. So I don't think I put that to Donovan Mitchell. I mean, you look at what he did in the playoffs himself individually, played great, played great. But he didn't have enough of a supporting cast to be able to get him past some of those top teams in the Western Conference. Ahmed in New Jersey up next here on 98.7. Ahmed, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Ahmed, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Love the show. Cool. What's on your mind? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm I'm in an agreement with you. Um, I think it's too much to give um, a trade with six draft picks and our youth. Um, You got to find a way to get Evan Fournier in that deal because um, he's something that is not going to give you much on defense anyway. And I know some of the concerns about Mitch defensively. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd, be power, I'd, be, I'd be able to swallow Fournette. I'd, I'd even be able to sw- give away Cam as opposed to – Cam Reddish as opposed to um, Grimes. I mean, because, you know, we're so promising these youngsters, and we, we, they're homegrown. These two guys aren't, aren't our real picks. You know, you wouldn't feel horrible if – you know, later on in, in, in the careers, they, they ended up being more than they are right now. Right now, you can't say that Grimes is not going to be an all-star. He's got a sweet shooting. He's a big guard. You're going to need that to substitute for Mitchell. So, you know, from my standpoint, I think it's too much to give six draft picks and I youth. I, you know, if you want to throw in McBride, you have to do it. But I think Obi stays. I think Grimes stays. And I think um, – you know, you can get Fournier, uh, get, get Fournier in that deal. I think it'd be a better, a better situation for us because we do have to have a bench. To your point, we cleaned up our, we cleaned up our bench for the Carmelo Anthony trade. We don't need to do that again. That doesn't make sense to me. You can't keep making the same decisions and expect a different result. And the thing you got to remember too, and Ahmed, thanks for the phone call. Like I said, I'm going to go back to the same example that I brought up with with the Heat team. You know, ten years ago or twelve years ago. You're talking about three. Back then, you built a team around three of the top 10 players in the NBA. I, I mean, I, I don't know if Bosch was top 10 at that point. Maybe. You know, obviously, Bosch, Bosch had to take one for the team. When he went down to Miami, he could not be the primary scorer like he was in, in Toronto all those years. And his scoring average took a hit, and, and we know that. He was like that third wheel, and, you know, he had his good days and he had his bad days. Not everybody could play that role and make the sacrifices for the team. But you had three of the top 10, 12 players in the league that you were building around. So, yeah, you can maybe be a little bit easy when you talk about filling out the roster. 
And that's when he went to, you know, the, the, the old guys, the Battiers, the Jawan Howards, you know, Udonis Haslam, who was like a heat lifer. You know, just get those type of guys. Sign them on cheap deals, and then hopefully it'll help pay off because we're going to ride our three All-Stars. Knicks don't have that, right? Knicks don't have that. So even if you get Donovan Mitchell, he's the most accomplished player you have on your team. You're building it then around a core of Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, who really has only had one very good year in the NBA, Julius Randle, who's coming off of a disappointing season by all accounts, and R.J. Barrett, who's coming off of his best season, but what if he peaked last year? You know, I don't think we're saying any of those four guys are top 10 players in the NBA. Like, Donovan Mitchell's probably not a top 10 player in the NBA. He's like in that next group. And now you got three or four of those guys, and he's the best of the bunch. It's a risky proposition. I, I don't think it's the right way to go about building a team, if you ask me. And if Danny Ainge is hung up, like he claims to be, on all of these draft choices and all these players that he wants in exchange, I got to be honest with you. The only way that this might be feasible for the Knicks, or the only way that they're going to be able to make this thing work, is if you might have to get another team involved. You might have to make this like a three-team affair. Because I just don't see how the numbers work if it's just Knicks and Utah. And I'm sure that the Knicks are smart enough to know that. I mean, that's why they're not running and they yes, do it. Here, take whatever you want. It's complicated. Utah doesn't care. Remember, they already took a detonator to their team. They, they blew that thing up already. And now they're building it brick by brick. And they don't know how long it's going to take. And I really, I don't think they care how long it takes. Fans are going to be patient out there. Besides, it's Utah. What the hell else are you going to do if you're a fan out there? You're going to wait for BYU? You're going to wait for Utah football, Utah basketball, and BYU sports? That's it. You got nothing else going on. 800-919-3776. We'll have more on this. And also, you know, something happened yesterday which could impact Kevin Durant's immediate future. With the Brooklyn Nets. We'll get into that as well. It's Dan Grasso with you till 10, right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. So, for the other team in town, that would be the Brooklyn Nets. The Durant saga still hovers over them. And, and as I just got done saying a little while ago, Nets are in no rush to trade Kevin Durant. And I seem to think with each passing day that we move closer and closer to him still being on this team come start a training camp, right? The Nets hold all the cards here. Durant may think he holds the cards. Durant may think that he holds the leverage, but he really doesn't. Because the thing that he has going against him is the fact that he signed a four-year extension already. And it's not like he's going into a contract year, okay? So the Nets do not risk losing him for absolutely nothing. They're going to get the value that they feel is necessary when you're trading away a guy who, make no mistake about it, has been the best player to ever put on a Nets uniform. You should cash in. Just like, you know, think about the bargain that the Utah Jazz rode to trade Rudy Gobert and think about what they got from Minnesota. You mean to tell me that Rudy Gobert is somebody with more value than Kevin Durant? I don't care about their ages. I don't care where they are, respectively, in their careers. Kevin Durant's a better player than Rudy Gobert. Kevin Durant will help you win a championship a hell of a lot faster than Rudy Gobert will. Kevin Durant is a number one on a team, not Rudy Gobert. So, Nets look around and they can see, wait, that's possible? 
Like, that's something you could get. You're darn right. So you take advantage of it, and you ride this thing out. However, as far as KD's concerned, you know, one of the places that he was thinking about going was to Phoenix. Of course, because Phoenix is good. You know, he don't want to go the hard way, and he don't want to, you know, face a challenge or anything like that. He wants to go where, you know, he's the last piece to a championship. Like Phoenix, like Miami, hell, even maybe back to Golden State, who knows. But that DeAndre Ayton tender, that offer sheet that he signed with the Indiana Pacers was quickly matched by the Phoenix Suns. $133 million, the largest offer sheet in NBA history. So what does that mean? It essentially means that there's really a slim chance now that Durant is going to get shipped over to the Phoenix Suns this summer and this offseason. Because now, by signing that offer sheet as a restricted free agent and having Phoenix match it, DeAndre Ayton can't be traded until the earliest, the earliest January the 15th. And there's going to be a whole year that goes by to where he cannot be traded without his consent. But you know that he'd like to go to Phoenix. And how about Aiton getting $133 million, right? Phoenix never even really made him an offer, if you think about it. They didn't. And they were really reluctant to hand over that type of money. And they told DeAndre Aiton and his reps, they said, hey, you know what? Why don't you go out and see if you could get yourself a max deal? And they were able to find one from the Indiana Pacers. Remember, Indiana moved on from Malcolm Brogdon. They traded him. You know, they drafted Ben Matherin from uh, Arizona. You know, he's going to be one of their young building blocks, but they're kind of also turning over a new leaf here a little bit. And they thought Aiton would be a nice centerpiece, part of that, you know, core, that foundation. But instead, Phoenix said, no, nah, we're not done with you yet. We're going to keep you around. So maybe you cross Phoenix off the list as far as a KD destination in the near future unless you bring in another team. And you'd have to be creative a little bit. Adrian Wojnarowski, our pal Woj, he was on KJM today. And he talked about how the Suns matching that offer sheet for DeAndre Ayton potentially is going to affect any deal that would involve Kevin Durant. It makes it harder because while Brooklyn didn't have an interest in Ayton, Ayton could have been an asset moved around in, in a three- or a four-team deal to maybe get Brooklyn something they wanted in a Kevin Durant trade. And so now you look at Phoenix's roster and Devin Booker can't be traded. They weren't going to trade Devin Booker in any deal, but he can't be traded for a year because he just signed that new extension. Aiden, again, January 15th, or maybe not at all for a year if he doesn't agree to it. And now you, now Mikel Bridges is an outstanding young player. Cam Johnson's a good young player. And then your picks and you go, does Phoenix really have enough to make the kind of knockout offer that Brooklyn would want for Kevin Durant? Well, see, it's the same, like, when I hear stuff like that, it's the same thing that applies to the Knicks with the Donovan Mitchell stuff. You know, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, young players with upside. Okay, okay, great. I don't want to hear about young players with upside. You're talking about one of the top 15, 20 guys to ever put on a pair of sneakers and play basketball. Ever. Don't give me Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson. Like, that's not good enough. That's not going to cut it. You know, it's the same thing with Donovan Mitchell. Don't tell me about, like, upside and young guys. and No, this is a guy who's proven it already for five years in the NBA and who still might even tap into another level as a player and still may even be able to take his game to another level. Talking about Mitchell coming to the Knicks. 
So the Nets should operate with a strong fist here and not look to move him for just nothing, just to alleviate a headache. Nick Friedel covers the NBA, of course. He was on Get Up this morning, and he spoke on that reality that, you know what, as far as KD is concerned, he probably sees the writing on the wall right now and realizes he might be sticking around a little while longer. Kevin knows the league inside and out, and he also knows that there are not as many ways for Phoenix to make it happen now because they've made this move. So he's watching this very closely, just like the rest of us, but there's no question. If you're Kevin Durant and you know there's not a space right now to get you there, he's got to be sitting there wondering, all right, do I really still want to push to go there? Or is there more of a chance potentially for me to at least start the season in Brooklyn? And I know the Nets are hoping that, and it's hope right now, but they're hoping that that is the choice he decides to make. But he is well aware of the environment across the league. And if the Nets don't feel like they're getting enough back, they're not in any rush to move him right now. And that's how it should be. You know, I don't see, I can't sit here and necessarily say that if things remain status quo, you know, where the Nets stack up. You know, I, I, I give Durant credit in one thing, though, and I've said this before. He's a guy who's always going to go out there and play hard. He's always going to go out there and bring it. This isn't a guy who's going to loaf. He's going to take games off. That, that, that's not his way. You know, he does have pride in what he does as a player. But if the Nets keep the band together, meaning KD's here, I, I mean, Ben Simmons, I don't know what realistically you can expect. I, I, I don't know how you can. And I don't know what happens to Kyrie Irving. I guess, I mean, the latest with Kyrie is that, you know, from some third party, we're hearing that, no, he never wanted to leave Brooklyn, ever. Never wanted to. That's why he opted in. Okay, great. But, you know, what time does the Kyrie Irving roller coaster ride depart the station? Is that on opening night? Is that game 10? Is that Christmas Day? Like, when, when do we start to get the ups and the downs and the loop-de-loops with having Kyrie Irving on your team to where things get a little bit crazy. Because think about how he handled this summer with all the talk about calling the Lakers and wanting to play with LeBron again and, and putting out feelers to all these other teams out there. Why? Because he was essentially in a contract year. And once he realized all the other avenues to play on another club and still make a lot of money, by the way, were slammed shut in his face... Remember, he can only go for the Lakers for a mid-level exception and play for like $6 million. He didn't want to do that. So then and only then did he once again become Brooklyn Joe. And, you know, he, he pledged his heart to Brooklyn, and he always wanted to be here because he realized that's the only place he can make $35 million. Not that he's an outlier or he's a rebel or he's a renegade or whatever stupid terms that he uses on social media. No, because he could get paid by the Nets more than anybody else. That's why he opted back in. But how do you think this season's going to play out, right? How do you think this year is going to play out? Once he probably gets word during the season, you know, through his representatives, because you know what's going to happen. His representatives are going to be talking to the Nets, Sean Marks and Joe Sy, and, you know, preliminary stuff like behind the scenes. And they're going to start to gauge their interest on maybe working out a long-term deal. And you know that the Nets have no interest in signing Kyrie Irving to a long-term deal. So they're probably going to convey that to Kyrie's people. Kyrie's going to get word, and then you're going to get roller coaster Kyrie. 
where you don't know if he's going to be too high or too low, if he's in or if he's out. If he wants to be here or he wants to be someplace else, if he's going to disappear for two weeks at a time and not feel like um, playing basketball because of some world problem that's consuming him, that's what's going to happen. You can guarantee it. It is as likely as forecasting rain when the skies are cloudy. You know that that is going to be in the cards. So the question is, if you're the Nets, what are you prepared for? And if that starts to be an issue for you, when do you pull the trigger? Because I think that Kyrie Irving would probably be someone that you'd be able to unload a little bit easier given the fact that he's only a rental player. And you ship him off to whatever team that would be and let them deal with him for the remainder of the season. And then he's a free agent at the end of the year. So let's say they keep this band together, which could happen. Could happen, right? Let's hear from Jeff Van Gundy again. He was on KJM, and he was asked that exact prospect. What happens if the Nets keep this team together? I think it's very probable that he comes back and he is, he's the headliner along with Irving and hopefully a healthy Simmons and a healthy Joe Harris. You know, if they get healthy, they're going to be right back in the mix to play for it all. Like, they're that good. I mean, yeah, but do you believe it? Like, that's in a, a best-case scenario. That's in a perfect world. Everything coming together. Everybody being on their best behavior. Everybody being healthy and durable. And remember, Ben Simmons hasn't played a game in two years. Right? Last time Ben Simmons played a game, I mean, did we even know what the hell COVID was? It feels like it's been that long since Ben Simmons took the floor. And now you're talking about him as being one of your centerpiece players? One of your quote-unquote pillars? That is one giant, large leap of faith. One that I'm not prepared to make. So, while I do acknowledge that KD could begin the season as a member of the Brooklyn Nets, I cannot sit here in any sort of good conscience, half-hearted or not, and tell you that I think that the Nets are going to be contenders in the Eastern Conference because I can't trust their players. I can't. 800-919-ESPN, 800-919-3776. Talk some Mets when we get back. They got a day off today. They're going to play two games tomorrow, but things are looking up, aren't they? Stan Grasso with you till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. Artie in Brooklyn, up next here on 98.7. Art, how we doing? Hey, Dan, how's it going? But thanks for taking oh, the call. What's up, Art? You know, all right. So, you know, as a Knicks fan, it started all with the LeBron thing, and I'm telling you right now, there's nothing. I'm, I'm a little nervous because Utah gave got so much for uh, Robert, but the thing is, I don't think there's anything that's too much for the Knicks to get Mitchell. And that's not saying that they're going to win the championship, okay? Because you know it's a process, okay? That that just Mitchell and Brunson, and if they keep RJ or lose RJ, whoever they have, they're going to have to end in order to get to the championship. If they get there at all, but you know what? As a net fan, I don't know how many net fans they, it didn't work. But you know what? For whatever those years that they had Durant and they had whatever. They were the pick to win the championship. And if they get Mitchell, the 
Knicks are going to be a playoff contender. And that's, you have to be a playoff contender before you can win the championship. Now, are they going to stop there? Is it going to stop with Mitchell? I hope not. No. But they have to get this. And if they don't get him, I mean, I'm not saying I'm done, but I think I'm done. All right, thanks, Dan. I appreciate the call. All right, calm down. Enjoy the rest of your Friday night. Enjoy your weekend. Okay, don't have a stroke tonight. We don't want that. But I just don't know. I mean, and we've talked about this tonight. I just don't know if that's smart business. Like, I can't give away half of my team for one guy. This is not Michael Jordan we're getting back here. And I don't want to sit here and, like, it sounds like I'm taking shots at at Mitchell because I want him here. Last two nights I've been telling you I want him here. But you got to draw a line. Remember, last night... When we were having the big discussion about this trade potentially and what you could give up, the, the, the one name we were throwing around was RJ as being the centerpiece. And would you sacrifice RJ to get Donovan Mitchell in here? Okay, now we find out that according to the latest reports that maybe RJ is not even going to be part of this deal. But they want all these draft choices. They want all these young players. Eventually, you got to say enough is enough. Because then you don't even have a team. And even if you get him on here, as Artie was saying, like, you're not a championship contender, not even close. You're, you're a playoff team. And it's another, like, piece in the process, but it's not going to happen this year. Hell, it might not even happen next year. It is far from a finished product. You're better. You're more exciting. You're probably more attractive on a night-in-night-out basis. But in the Eastern Conference, like, what are you? Miami's really good. Boston, if you ask me, got even better. Boston might have had the best summer in the NBA this year so far. Milwaukee, push comes to shove. If Middleton's healthy, they still might be the best team in the East. Philadelphia's got Embiid and a renewed, committed James Harden. I don't know if you saw that. He's all in. He's all about winning. He's all committed. He wants to prove to people that he is indeed somebody that can stay in shape and and, and be a dominant player again. You got four teams right there. You know, the Atlanta Hawks went out there and they brought in DeJon Murray to pair with uh, uh, Trey Young in the backcourt. What does Toronto do for an encore? You know, the Chicago Bulls, until injuries hit that team last year, I mean, they were on a nice little run. If they could ever get healthy again, you know, that Bulls team is a pain in the neck. And oh, by the way, then you got Brooklyn as the wild card. What are they going to be? So, we haven't even brought up the Knicks yet. What does that make you in the Eastern Conference? As I said, like, last night, the new definition or the new synonym for purgatory right now in the NBA is the play-in tournament. That's what purgatory is. Like, before there was the play-in tournament, like, the seventh and the eighth seed, that was purgatory in the NBA. Or if you, like, just miss out on the playoffs. You just miss out on the playoffs. You really don't have enough great chances as far as the ping pong balls to hit the lottery and to move up significantly to where you're going to get yourself a game changer in the draft. And the same thing here with the playing tournament. Playing tournament, all right, you might actually make the playoffs. You might get in. But realistically, how far are you going if you're in the playing tournament? And then you know you're not going to be part of the lottery because you're a playoff team. That is the definition of hell. That is NBA hell, the playing tournament. And is that the goal? Like, that, that's what you want if you're a fan? You can't stop at the playing tournament. You might be good enough to get in the playoff, in the playing tournament next year. 
But how many steps backwards are you going to take if you have to deplete your roster of all this depth, which you need? Richard in Manhattan is up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Richard, how are you? Dan, before I get to my med point, yes. it seems like four players and six draft choices for one player. It yep. seems like draft choices in the NBA became the way of the NFL running back. Totally devalued. I can't even imagine Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being traded for 10, 10 players like this. It's unbelievable. Well, you imagine if, considered. Richard, you imagine if in the NFL draft, NFL draft picks were protected like most of the NBA draft picks are? Yeah. Oh, my God. How crazy it's, would that be? Uh, they're saying that, I mean, when you're giving that away, you're saying we, we don't even have a chance of picking anybody good. And that, that's how bad we are. Oh, it's terrible. I think that sends a worse message than trying to get Donovan Mitchell. They're saying that not one of our six picks will make it into a reasonable NBA player. That's just what they're saying. You know, you know what draft picks are, Richard, in the NBA? They're basically things, if you're a rebuilding team, you put them in the closet and you use them as bargaining chips down the road. Like that's why Utah wants to stockpile all these draft picks because they're not going to win in the next couple of years. That's why Oklahoma City has collected like a gazillion draft choices because they're in this perpetual rebuild. And the Knicks have all these draft choices, except the difference is the Knicks want to go ahead and try to win a lot sooner than those other two teams do. I think that's because of the fans and the radio stations, oh, of course. really. Of course. I think that's a well, look at the market. Utah, Oklahoma City, and the Big Apple. Yeah. You can't compare Correct. All right, my med point. Yeah. And just tell me if you think. Just I'm. I'm just making a deduction from what I saw in yesterday's med game. You'll tell me if you agree with my deduction. Carrasco goes six innings yesterday. Pitches great. Ninety pitches. Time mm-hmm. to take him out. He shut out. The score six nothing. Soon to be eight nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buck brings in uh, Trevor Trevor Williams. Yep. The guy pitches great. Three innings. Forty five pitches. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I think he got nine batters out in a row. But now my question is to myself, mm-hmm. would Buck have left this guy in if it was a one nothing game? No way would this guy have gone with a three-inning save in a one nothing game. Which means to me, my deduction from this mm-hmm. is Buck is telling Trevor Williams, Trevor, we trust you in an 8 to nothing game to go three innings. But if the score was one nothing, Trevor... Even though you're pitching great, we still don't trust you. We're going to only take you out after one inning, and that's it. That's my deduction from what I seen yesterday. Tell me if you um, agree with my deduction. Don't tell me if you think you understand what happened. Just understand what I'm saying from what I'm deducing what Buck did. No, that, that, that's, ex- that's exactly what happened, Richard, and, and, and thank you for the phone call. And I'll, I'll tell you why. A couple of things. Number one. Trevor Williams, remember, Trevor Williams had to step into the rotation and start because of the injuries that they had to the, to the rotation. Bassett had the COVID, so, you know, they had to piece some things together here. So Williams had been stretched out a little bit more as a starting pitcher. And remember his previous start, which is against, was it Miami, maybe, the Marlins? I don't, I don't remember. He pitched really well. But he went deep into the ball game, and he hadn't pitched in a week. You know what I mean? Like, he was just sitting around, and he had not pitched since the previous Thursday. So they didn't want him to get too cold, and that's why they let him go three innings. I'll, I'll tell you this, Richard. If it was a one nothing game, Trevor Williams isn't in the game. I think that he was looking for – there were two re- ways that he was getting in the game. A blowout in favor of the Mets or a blowout in favor of the Cubs. I think that he was saving Trevor Williams to get him some innings in long relief last night, and he had the luxury of doing that because the Mets built up a substantial lead. 
And so he went three innings. I think he threw 40-something pitches, at least stretched that arm out again because he was sitting around for a week doing nothing. You don't want a guy to stiffen up on you there if, uh, you know, you're one of your pitchers. But all is right in metal world, at least for a couple of days. And hopefully you go out there and have a good day tomorrow with Scherzer and Walker in the doubleheader. This is the Dan Grasser Show on 98.7 ESPN. (laughs)